Chapter Seventeen of the Heart's Kingdom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heart's Kingdom by Maria Thompson Davies. Chapter Seventeen: The Pageant. We were just saying, Charlotte dear, that this absurd school affair has completely overshadowed your wedding day," said Mrs. Cockrell as she rocked back and forth in tune with her irish point rose she was constructing it seems to me a wedding ought to come before a school festivity social law requires that marriage take precedence of schooling said mrs sproul as her mischievous old eyes snapped at mrs cockrell's placid conventionality the correct order is for women to take husbands and then school children should be the inevitable outcome they are not, however, in this day and generation, which is about to be the last, I'm thinking. There will be thirty-nine kitties from the settlement and eleven from the town to feast on reason and flow sold together in the new school, I laughed, as I sat down between them. Also, I'm thinking that a lot more will be forthcoming from the settlement by next week. Young Charlotte and Mother Spurlock closed as far as they could, but they will keep at it, I feel sure. I feel guilty at the idea of taking three trunks of clothes away from the watchful eye of Mother Elsie. Only I'm leaving the accumulation of years for her distribution. The passport to Elsie Spurlock's heart is a condition composed of rags, hunger, and unhappiness. She has no sympathy or time for a sanitary and contented friend, said Mrs. Sproul, with a decided tartness that was only a reflex of the deep affection she bore the mistress of the little house, which had existed since childhood and would endure. I hear some of the cars coming, announced Mrs. Cockrell, as she began to crochet furiously at the last petal of a rose. Is my cap straight? I do so want to finish this row, and can't go in to look. You'll put out St. Peter's eye with a crochet needle while he's unlocking the pearly gates for you, Letty Cockrell, said Mrs. Sproul, as she rose and stood with ceremony at the head of the steps to meet the governor and Mr. Jeffreys and father as they came up her front walk. Mrs. Sproul always had the most delightful old-world sorts of midday dinners, and it was two o'clock before we all arose from her long table, at one end of which had been demolished a spiced ham, and from the other end had disappeared two fat summer turkeys. A saddle of lamb had been passed in between, and we had wound up with sweet potato custards, apple float, and ice cream. "'I understand now,' said Mr. Jeffies, as his keen old eyes twinkled down the table at Nicholas. This food should produce geniuses. The South feeds for it. Yes, we eat, drink, are merry, and do it all over again tomorrow, said Mark, as he walked beside Mrs. Sproul from the devastated dining room. And we must all hurry if we are to see your young ideas begin to shoot. This day isn't really hot, but just thinks it is. Look at those clouds boiling up back of old Harpeth, as if wanting to storm, but afraid to begin it. There's not a breath of air stirring. Wish it would shower, for I believe the colors of Goodloe's pageant would run, and I'd like to see the true hue of this melee of his come out in the wash. It would do Charlotte good to fade a bit, 
She has been hectic since daylight, and the rest of my juvenile family with her. Jimmy is S and Z in the alphabet, and Sue has got a huge A sewed on her back. Goodloe intends that education shall be nailed to him. And at his admonition to hurry and the alluring description of the entertainment to come, we all betook ourselves on foot toward the schoolhouse, down the street a few blocks, halfway between the town and the settlement. And as we went, all the rest of the town hurried out of wide, high, vine-covered doors, down broad, flower-lined walks, and joined us from under bowers of blooming roses, honeysuckle, and clematis. We actually approached the schoolhouse in the form of quite a large procession, and as we wound our way down the hill, we met a like procession winding itself up the hill from the settlement, a procession arrayed in its best bib, tucker, and boiled shirt, just as we were adorned in silk, lace, fine muslin, and linen. It looks like two armies approaching each other. Greek is going to meet Greek, said Billy. Rather, Greek meets Vandal, and there stands Goodloe to do the interpreting, Nicholas jeered in answer. And as we all flocked into the wide gate of the schoolyard, I was again struck with the great beauty of the tall, broad, lithe, free man who stood in the middle of the walk just inside, welcoming town and settlements alike. And while he greeted us, his enthusiastic flock of older children seated the groups of guests on the long rough benches which were placed facing the door of the schoolhouse, leaving a wide space at the foot of the steps, which was roped off with golden chains of black-eyed daisies, and which was evidently to be used as a stage for the pageant. "'Just look how Goodloe is failing to mix his oil and water,' Nicholas whispered to me, as we observed all of the settlement groups gravely gravitate to the left side of the walk, while all the town in chattering parties took seats on the right. That's right, Burns. Take off my last summer coat, he added, still in a whisper to me as the Burns parents struggled out of the unendurable gift garment and thus gave a signal that whipped off every coat on the left side of the walk in the twinkling of an eye, to the evident distress of the tightly girded and uncomfortable but more formal feminine members of the settlement contingent. Conjugal strife was about to make its appearance when Mother Spurlock, who was seated beside poor little Hetty Garrett, holding the mother only in her arms with never a glance for Mrs. Sproul, who had beckoned her to a seat next to her own beruffled silk skirts, passed the word around that such comfort was to be accorded the masculine guests. Even with such sanction, however, Luella May Spain looked pained at her father's gay new red suspenders, and I could see that Mr. Todd's striped shirt was hurting the feelings of Sadie Todd dreadfully, and she and Luella May returned Billy's gallant salute with the greatest embarrassment. And in all the buzz, I found myself looking anxiously for Martha Ensley's pale face and dark eyes, but failed to find them. This is one place she ought not to have to peep into. Here she has the rights of her citizenship and her motherhood, I said to myself. But if the town and the settlement sat in the seats of the audience, divided by the walk as were the walls of waters, by the dry path along which Moses led his chosen people out of the darkness of Egypt, such a division was not noticeable among the performers of the pageant, who were supposed to be in hiding with their costumes behind a tall screen of shrubs at one side of the schoolhouse, but who bubbled out on all sides. 
Charlotte appeared once holding small Mouty Burns in a comforting embrace, and guided her to her mother for some sort of attention to the very short skirts of blue gingham, which were draped with about ten yards of green crepe paper. While both Harriet and I gasped as we saw Mikey jauntily hand the suckling, tightly wrapped in brown swaddlings, into the rapturous and tender embrace of Katie Moore, who had bling wings sewed to her small gingham shoulders. "'Great guns! They've got sucks in it, too!' gasped Billy. "'That child is too young to educate, and Goodlow ought to be restrained from cradle-snatching-like.' But just here Billy was interrupted, and the audience all quieted down as Mr. Goodlow, in his white flannels and with his gold head ablaze in the sun, which suddenly shone out fiercely from behind a white cloud which was sheeting internally with electricity, mounted two of the front steps of the schoolhouse and held up his hand for silence. "'Mr. Todd,' he said with beautiful deference, "'will you lead us in prayer?' There was a perceptible rustle of feeling on the settlement side of the walk, for Mr. Todd was one of the parson's deacons, but he had also been the master workman in the building of the schoolhouse and his neighbors were quick to respond to the tribute offered him before the distinguished men present he rose gaunt and grizzled in his shirt-sleeves but what he said was brief and as square-cut and to the point as any nail he had ever driven i saw the governor and father exchange glances and i noticed when the governor responded to his call he was much less ornate of speech than usual and much more universal they all spoke, from Nicholas along the line to father, and after repeated urgings, Mother Spurlock rose to the occasion, and by way of making the town and settlement at home in its new joint quarters, announced that the tea canister with its slit would hereafter be nailed just inside the schoolhouse door. The laugh and delighted applause that was given her seemed to have been the last straw to the actors behind the shrubbery. Restrained by their young preceptress, for the pageant broke upon us. First Mikey, with huge white cambric stork wings, hopped upon the stage of sward and deposited the brown-wrapped suckling in a hollow log in the center, and departed flapping. After that, the ceremonial developed itself into the education that was to flow down upon her defenseless head at the waving of the wand of Minerva who was Charlotte, with a tinsel star of wisdom, resting rampantly upon her brow. And it came down upon the suckling with a vengeance. A whole troop of young letters of the alphabet, led by small Susan with the large red A upon her fat back, danced around the suckling's helplessness, and finally backed up to the audience to spell the word reading. Next in hopped a flock of numerals, led by the indefatigable Mikey, which backed up and presented themselves from one to ten to thus imply the hated science of arithmetic. The suckling slept on amid delighted gurgles from her mother and Harriet. She slept through a presentation of the script letters of writing, and was still unconscious when geography in crepe paper with flags of all nations grouped around her. She only awoke when, all by himself, sturdily, with his head in the air and fairly radiant with beauty and courage, the stray marched upon the scene, rolled into a white roll of paper and girt about with a broad red ribbon sealed upon his back to represent diploma. 
silently and intent upon his duty he walked straight to the suckling in her log crib bent over her crooned to her reassuringly a second lifted her in his white arms and backed off behind a tall laurel bush with her nodding in delight over his shoulder the boy was so beautiful and the little scene so tender that the entire audience caught its breath at its audacity a gauntlet had been thrown into the faces of both the town and settlement and they both understood they sat perfectly still with astonishment while the performers were being massed in the schoolhouse by the young teacher for their final march out to the steps for their hymn singing with the beloved minister which was to conclude the ceremonials and while the audience sat awaiting the further presentations to be made them by their offspring mr goodloe came out the door and halfway down the steps then suddenly he stopped and looked out over the valley with such an expression on his face that with one accord his audience rose and looked with him and as it looked a groan came that was a chorus melted into one voice of terror while all of them stood helpless with amazement while we had all been sitting in the curious sweltering heat watching with pride a future for our children being foretold for them by themselves death had reared itself upon old harpeth coiled itself into a huge black spiral of thunder and lightning and was driving down the valley upon good Lowitz with a velocity that defied the eyes to follow for a long second every man and woman stood rooted to his foothold on the earth and watched the tornado strike the edge of the settlement smash down the saddery as if it were a house of cards and churn the little tannery into the river then as it grasped the roof of the last chance and began twisting it with a roar that grew in volume every instant gregory goodloe suddenly raised his hand and spoke in a perfectly calm voice that rang out above the groan of the tortured shanties of the settlement which were clashing down against each other o oh god we trust in the coverts of thy wings he prayed for a second and then commanded fall to the earth all of you and let it pass over you the children came a cry that was a wail of parenthood as we all sank to the ground just as a terrible black monster tore the roof from the little house and hurled it toward us across the street i saw a huge rafter hurtle through the air and strike down mark morgan as he started toward the steps of the schoolhouse and by not half an inch did it miss drunken useless mike burns as it fell beside him then i covered my eyes as the cloud and the wind passed over me and i only heard it strike and rend and crash and tear the schoolhouse beam from beam and stone from stone an eerie wail of the voices of little children was mixed with the roar of the monster which crashed on up through the town laying low the homes of our pride and prosperity leaving us with our faces to the ground while upon us began to pour a deluge of cold rain mark mark i heard harriet moan beside me and i saw her crawl under the wind toward where mark had fallen my babies oh my babies came a wail in nell's voice and i saw her try to rise be knocked over by the wind and then begin to crawl toward the wrecked mass that a second before had been the schoolhouse and from which now could be heard the screams and cries of the children then as suddenly as it had laid us low the cruel wind left us and with one accord we all sprang to our feet and surged toward the children's calls and cries that came out to us in the semi-darkness that still enveloped us through both the wind and the rain were abating 
but before a huge slab that had been the top step of the schoolhouse we were all halted by a voice so stern and commanding that even the agonized mothers and fathers paused stop not a man or a woman must come a step nearer said the parson with the authority in his voice that must always be obeyed when used by one human being to another the roof of the house had split and sunk in the middle and only one side beam is supporting it if it is touched by so much as a hand it may lose its balance and fall on the children only one man must come forward and put his shoulder under the beam at the other end while i hold this the children must come out one by one so as not to shake anything on them the beam may fall do you all understand me one man me parson me demanded mr todd a broader younger man todd answered the parson and he was casting his eye over the huddled people before him when a wail came clear and distinct from within the ruin stranger is caught and bleeding hurry hurry were the words that charlotte sent forth with all the strength of her young lungs it's my child oh it's mine came an answering cry and from behind some hiding place martha ensley flung herself across the front of the huddled group of the settlement people and against the defence of gregory goodloe's strong arm which held her from the tottering doorway he was supporting let me get him out no martha the parson said calmly and tenderly as he held her back then you come and get him martha said as she suddenly straightened herself and looked out among us of the town he's yours come and save him but even in her agony she was cautious in her appeal which came without the demands of a name we all held our breath for an instant settlement in town who would answer her End of chapter seventeen